0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Psalms 119, and let's go to verse 103. And in this uh, chapter, there's much that the psalmist writes about the Word of God. The Word, have I hid in my heart, that's found in this chapter. What are my steps in thy word. That's found in this chapter. The entrance of thy word giveth light. That's found in this chapter. But in verse 103, he writes here, and he says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to thy mouth. Go on. In verse 104, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It's when I read your word and I know your precepts and your principles that you've given to us, I have understanding. So I hate everything that's not the word of God. And he goes on and says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light Unto my path, so we want to give authority to the Word of God. Leverage the Word of God in our life. A few years back, there was the tragic tsunami uh, in Indonesia, and then not long after that was another tsunami. I believe it was in Japan. I think the uh, the, the tsunami in Japan followed the one in Indonesia, and. Uh, tsunamis are this incredible force that absolutely devastating. It's hard to comprehend. The Indonesia tsunami, I think, it was, was something like 120,000 people passed away. It's just, that's hard to even comprehend, that many people, uh, uh, lives lost in a moment. But in, in Japan, in the Japanese tsunami, uh, the most recent one, I read, as probably you did, and maybe you'll remember this, but I read that when, they, when, when the waters receded and they were going through the cleanup and they were working to restore everything that they found uh, some ancient stone or an ancient wall or something that had markings and inscription on it. It was like a memorial. It was intentional. It was purpose there. And I can't remember if they had to translate it or whatever, but, but when they went back to that site, they paid attention to the inscription on it, and it basically, and I'm paraphrasing because it's been a little while since I read the article, but they basically said that don't build past this point. Don't build past this point. Because if you build past this point, you're going to be in threat of, of, of the sea. And of course, the city in, in modern times has extended way past the point, it has gone way out. It's quite incredible what they've done. But the tsunami, when it came and it hit Japan just a few years ago, in the last decade, when it comes back, the waters came in and went right up to that point. But it didn't go past the point. And the article was saying that here was lost knowledge, lost knowledge, that there were generations gone by that had lived through tragedy. And when that tragedy had had receded, they built a memorial and said, here, here's what we've learned. Follow this. Don't build past this point. You can go out there, you can have fun, but don't live there. Don't build past there. And of course, that's forgotten about. New generations come on. They forget about it. They go on. And it's the arrogance of a new generation that doesn't pay attention to old knowledge. It says, hey, I can do this. And of course, great devastation happened. Anybody remember anybody else remember reading about that story specifically? And it was fascinating when you think about that. Now, we are human beings, and so we don't possess all knowledge. We are limited knowledge. We, I'm still learning things that people before me had already learned. Wouldn't it be great if you could download everything that you know and automatically give that to your children? or to the next generation. It it doesn't happen. Some things you can help, but most things, they're going to have to learn on their own. They're going to have to figure those things out. They're going to have to know the limits for themselves. So in our humanity, we are limited. And it is arrogant for any of us, it's foolish for any of us, to think that we can make it on our own, in our own intellect, without any damage, without any harm, without any tragedy coming. And so... Uh, When we approach the Word of God, we understand that God has all knowledge. He knows all things. He knows, the Bible says, He sees the end from the beginning. That means that when He purposes and He does things in the beginning or along the journey, He already knows what's waiting for us at the end. And He's already purposed good things for us. And so why would we not want to listen to the Lord? Why would we not want to trust the Lord? Why would we not want to uh, give authority to the Word of God? So what I'm talking about tonight, what we're talking about when we say give authority to the Word of God, it literally means that I am going to allow the Word of God speak to my life, order my steps, direct my lifestyle, pattern and shape my worldview irregardless of my opinions, irregardless of my thoughts, irregardless of my preferences and my desires, I'm not going to trust myself, but I am going to trust in the Word of God. I'm not going to trust someone else, but I'm going to trust in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, God's been around for a long time. That's a good place to say amen. If He hasn't, He's not God. So he's already seen some things. He knows some things. And so he gives us his word that he might help us. So I want to first, let's establish, sometimes in establishing what the word of God is to the full measure of giving authority, let's establish what giving authority of the word of God is not. So there's three things that we'll highlight, and we visited this back in our series. We touched on it in 2016, and so I think it's okay for us to do a little review in the next moments. I want you to go to Genesis chapter number three, and if you haven't started a a daily Bible reading program, or if you have, you're probably still somewhere in Genesis, or you're reading through here, and I love the book of Genesis. I I probably have more commentaries on the book of Genesis than uh, any other part of Scripture because Genesis is foundational everything, and we come to Through the creation narrative, and now we see Adam and Eve, and they are in the Garden of Eden, and they are in this sort of utopian paradise. Every day they converse with the Lord, but throughout the day they are uh, living in this place that that has some labor. God purposed Adam to work from the very beginning. Work was not, uh, this isn't in my notes, work was not the product of sin. God gave man a purpose at the very beginning. He said, this is your garden, and you're to keep it, and you're to care for it. But Adam Adam did not have to toil to see it bear fruit. It was just an automatic. There was a wonderful benefit to that. And so here they are living, and we don't know the time that lapses in this this moment exactly. But along comes the serpent, the tempter, uh, the enemy. And he comes and he shows up in chapter number 3. So if we're looking at Genesis chapter number 3, we'll just read through here. and We'll begin at verse number 1. And it reads, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman... Now, first of all, you know something's unique because you have a talking serpent. And he said unto the woman, Yea... For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And we go on. God shows up and God begins to call. Where are you at? They were hiding from the Lord. And now for the very first time there is separation between God's creation and the Lord. And so we, we, we know the story, but I, I want to highlight three things that the serpent does here. Three things that the serpent does. The first thing, when he shows up, the Bible says that he questioned, he was not, he asked a question to Eve. He asked her, did God really, or or, or if you eat in, in verse number one, shall Uh, uh, Hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Did God really say that you cannot eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree? Did God really say that? He questions the word of God. That's the very first thing that he does. So if you're taking notes, there's three things. The very first thing that the serpent does is he questions the word of God. Now, this is not an Ask Anything series where he's trying to get to the truth. This is not that kind of a question. This is a question that has a challenge to it. This is a rebuttal. Did God really say that? And he questions the Word of God. And of course, Eve falls for the trap immediately, and she begins talking back. The Bible says in the New Testament, Paul writes and says, give no place to the devil. I'm going to give you a good defense tactic, and that's it. The next time a talking serpent comes to you, don't talk back. Amen? Now, we laugh at that, but let's think about it. The next time that the enemy comes into your life and begins to challenge things that God has done or God has spoken, don't even carry a conversation The Bible says that the Lord responded to to Satan in the wilderness with the Word of God and get behind me, get behind me. I, I, I I don't even need to have that conversation. I'm not even going to challenge the Word of God. Now I question, I ask questions to find understanding about the Word of God because I want to know God's Word in my life. But I don't ask questions to challenge the Word of God. So here's what giving authority to the Word of God does. Number one, when you're reading through the Word of God and I see something that maybe I'm not comfortable with or I don't like or I'd rather just pass over or I'd rather just skip on through, let, let's skip this part and let's go on to the next part. No, you let the Word of God speak in your life. You, it doesn't matter if, if it's in there one time or if it's in there a thousand times. If it's in the word of God, we give authority to the word of God. You say, Well, you know, I see I, I see what's in the word of God, but that's just not the way, that's just not the way my, my dad believed it. Now, I I've had people tell me that and say things where, where you're showing them, or you give them Bible study, you're talking about things, and they'll say, Well, I see it in Scripture, I see it there. But, but I, just can't, I just can't live that because that's not... I'm going to tell you, that's not giving authority to the Word of God. Giving authority to the Word of God says if it's in the Word of God, doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not in, in, I'm putting an indictment upon your father or your mother or your best friend or whoever. I'm not putting an indictment upon any of those people that, that do that. But I am seeking after the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? So so the first thing the serpent does was he challenged the Word of God. The second thing that the serpent does, and and watch the progression that's going to unfold here. The second thing that he does is he denies the Word of God. Okay, so look what he says. He goes goes on, and in verse 4, look at what he said. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Hello? Hello? God said, don't eat of this, Adam. You can have everything that you want. I am withholding nothing from you. Every pleasure sensation that you could experience in the flesh, God gave them to them, not watered down in every way. I'm not holding anything back, but don't eat of that. Because the moment you eat of that, it will destroy you. It will kill you. It will rob you of life. And Satan comes along. Did God really say that? And the second thing he does is God did not say that. Be careful when you question the Word of God. Because if you can live with a challenge to the Word of God, hear me tonight, if you are comfortable living with a challenge, it's the next step is to be able to deny part, Of the Word of God well that's not really you know I know it's in there but folks now don't look at me like I'm crazy are you all tired tonight am I boring you tonight okay because I want you to know I, I know we believe in 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 God and we're all Christians and we're all believers here but not everybody that claims to be a believer truly believes the Word of God it's sad for them I pray uh, uh, for them, I hope that the revelation could get a hold of them, that conviction, that Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord could get a hold of them. But unfortunately, not every pulpit in America that, that will carry the same Bible book that I will to the pulpit actually walks to the pulpit believing that the Bible is the Word of God. I'll never forget an encounter I had um, when I was in Bible college and, and, and our, our uh, instructor was pressing us, to uh, dig a little bit deeper academically, and so uh, he challenged us to go to uh, the local seminary library, and uh, to, to, you, you could become a member there, and, and uh, you could check some stuff out, and you could do a lot of research and had access to a lot of things, so we went in there, and I'll never forget sitting there, and, I, and I'm sitting across the table, and of course, it was, it was a different denomination, different faith, somebody that was not spirit-filled, but is giving their life. To be in ministry, uh, I met the person and just had been there a couple times, recognized them working there, and they wanted to be a pastor. They were going to graduate from seminary to be a pastor, and I got to talking to them about something that I was doing for one of my papers, a research, or the book, or something. And we got to talking about the Word of God, the Bible. We got to talking about the Bible. Imagine this: I'm in seminary, and the seminary library, and we're talking about the Bible, and. It wasn't very far into the conversation, and all of a sudden I realized why the, the, what I was saying wasn't clicking, and it was because they did not believe that the Bible was the Word of God. And so I thought, so you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Oh, how, are you, are, and, and this was their response. Are you telling me that 60 different people over a thousand years was able to write it all together and it's all, I mean, I mean, you're t- come on. There was a whole bunch of different people. They all wrote it together. There's a whole bunch of things that don't match and they don't go together. And I'm sitting across the table thinking, this is going to be a pastor someday. This is kind of, this is where this is headed. I'm gonna tell you, we've got to be careful. That's why you have heard me say this. And I, I, and I say it. Uh, I I don't want to stop saying it. Be careful that your relationship is not built upon a personality. I, I hope you like my preaching. That makes me, that flatters me. But can I tell you, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you like Andrew Romine's preaching or style. What matters is if you have a love and a relationship with the Word of God and the book. Because a personality will come and go. I, I, I'm human, I'll stumble, I'll fall, I'll make mistakes. I won't be around forever, but the Word of God is forever settled. <laughs> Amen. And you can stand on the Word of God. You can bank on the Word of God. Men change their minds. Men go through situations, but the Word of God never changes. And so, I, I referenced this the other night. I am your pastor in as much as the Word of God leverages me to be your pastor so the only authority really that's in this room is the authority of the word of God amen and any other spiritual authority is delegated authority by the authority of God and his word and so that's the proper structure. That's the way it's got to be. So the first thing he does was he questions God's word. The second thing he does is he denies God's word. And then look at the third thing in verse 5. He says, he says previously, you're not going to die. But then he says, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open.'" Okay, we could say that that was a truth because there would be a, a deeper revelation and understanding that God knew would happen because they were living in innocence. They were naked and not ashamed. They were living in that innocence. They did not know uh, uh, iniquity. But then he goes on and he says, and you or ye shall be as gods. Herein is the lie. Herein is the lie. And so the third thing he does is he changes the word of God. The Word of God says this, don't eat of that, it's going to destroy you. And the enemy comes along and says, did God really say that? He challenges, he questions it. Second thing, you're not going to die. die. He denies it. And then the third thing, he changes it and says, you will be like gods. Let me tell you, it's a lie of the enemy that tells you that there are greater benefits and that there are greater pleasures to be explored outside of the confines and the protections of living for the Lord. And every single time, every single time, the prodigal ends up in the swine pit thinking, why did I do this? If I could just go back. Every single time. It's the foolishness of the next generation That thinks that they are going to be different than the previous generation. And you got to pass all kinds of memorials that are saying, don't live past this point. You can't go past this point. It's arrogance. And here's the word of God giving us, giving us liberty, amen, to truly live. When I live within the parameters of God's word, I real, that's where real liberty's at. Amen. But it's a lie of the enemy. How many times have you heard people say, Oh, you know, a church is, is so confined, it's so restrictive? Man, when ha- I can do what I want, I can, I can be what I want. God has given us wonderful liberties, it's sin that is restrictive. You walk into the crack house and you see the person grabbing the same needle knowing that they are threatening disease in their life, but yet they're bound by the addiction. That is not liberty. But it is a lie of the pit of hell that comes, that changes the word of God. So those three things, those three things, questioning God's word, denying God's word, and changing God's word. Be careful when you deny the Word of God, when you don't receive the Word of God in your life. If I preach something, I'm going to give an account before the Lord for everything that I preach. And as the pastor of this church, I'm going to give an account for those things that are taught, for those things that are preached here in this local assembly. I will not give an account for your decisions and your responses. You will give that account. I won't give that account. The only account... I would give where the, the, the effect, uh, uh, proverbially speaking, of blood being on my hands is when I question the Word of God, change the word of, deny the Word of God, and change the Word of God to give you a lie, like telling my son it's okay and safe to play with knives, play in the street, do whatever. No. Then, then I'm going to be responsible for that. But you are going to give an account, amen, for the Word of God. So if I ever preach something, teach something. And, and I've done that in, in 39 years, I, whether it was, uh, uh, whether, whether it's been uh, other places, I, I've had people come up and say, well, I, I just cannot accept, I just cannot accept. You pick whatever it is. I cannot accept that I need to be baptized, or I cannot accept that, um, you know, I've, I, that, that this is, is really addiction, or I cannot accept that, um, you know, God wants me to live And they go with their whole thing. I'm going to tell you, when you reject the Word of God, you're not rejecting the person or the preacher. You're you're rejecting the Word of God if what they are saying is the Word of God. Now, if I'm telling you that that you can only wear uh, uh, purple on Saturdays and yellow on Monday, if I'm creating some kind of crazy thing, and you say, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I, I have to wear yellow on Monday just because I love the pastor. But I don't think that I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. That's not rejecting the Word of God. You still got to check your spirit with that, but that's not rejecting the Word of God. But be careful that you don't have a heart that is uh, uh, adverse to the Word of God. But we want to have an open heart and an open mind and say, Lord, I want Your Spirit. I want Your Word to speak into my life. Because when you do, it gives you life, it gives you protection. So let's go on. Um, uh, uh, As we're looking here, that's what leveraging or giving authority the Word of God is not. So here's what giving authority the Word of God is. Let's skip ahead. And if you haven't read this already in your daily reading, you will shortly, I'm assuming. Genesis chapter number 22. And here God calls calls Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and... Uh, Abraham follows the voice of the Lord, and uh, there's all this wonderful things that take place. Uh, the speakings and different kinds of things, His encounter with Melchizedek, uh, the issues with Lot and, 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 and ultimately their division, uh, The other things as he goes down to Abimelech and the provision. And uh, he comes to this point now, where God speaks to him, God's already spoken to him time and time before, but the promise of having a son, he goes through the the fleshly route um, of Hagar and Ishmael, and, and then finally the covenant is brought about and fulfilled in the promise that God gave to Abraham and reaffirmed again through the visitation of the angels of the Lord, and Isaac is born. He's the promised child. He is the seed of promise. And an incredible thing about this is in the Old Testament of Genesis, we understand clearly from the narrative that Sarah was beyond, she was beyond uh, the years of giving birth. But in the New Testament, when Paul talks about it, Paul does not say that Sarah was enabled to have children, but he says Abraham was enabled to have children. And so this was a miraculous birth here when Isaac was born. He was truly a child of the promise and a child of the Spirit because both Abraham and Sarah were unable to have children, which means that Abraham, when he had Ishmael through Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, was not God's will and not God's purpose. That in itself was partially resurrection seed right there. There was a miracle that went on in that case because Abraham was not able to have children. And yet he has one with the handmaid. But it was done in the flesh. And Ishmael becomes this type of the flesh. But Isaac is the child of promise. He's the child of the Spirit. And now God asks of him. And he says, and it came to pass after these things that God did Tempt Abraham Genesis twenty two and one and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am and he said take now thine thy son look at what God says thine only son Isaac now was it his only son no Ishmael is fifteen years older than Isaac is still living he's still out there God has already provided salvation. Uh, uh, for life, uh, uh, for the life of Ishmael as a child when Hagar was kicked out by Sarah. But God promised Abraham you're going to have a son. Abraham did not believe. he, He did not follow along that promise. And so God did not count Ishmael as his promised son. God is saying to Abraham, Isaac is your only son. Now, does that mean God didn't love Ishmael? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. God loved him. God gave him a promise. God gave him a covenant. But God had a covenant for Isaac. And He said, this is the one. And He challenged Abraham. He said, take your only son. And look, He said, whom thou lovest. He's acknowledging His affinity. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So now God challenges Abraham. Abraham is a hundred years old when his son is born, and now you can imagine, God, this is what I've waited for, this is what I've prayed for, and now God sort of asks for it back. God, I don't understand this. This does not make sense. My dream has been realized. Our hopes, our, our ambitions, all... All of our joys have been rested on this. And and I messed it up and I made a mess of things. Which if the whole story of Hagar and Ishmael tells anything, it's not Ishmael's fault. But if the whole story tells us that when we don't have faith and follow after the Word of God, we're going to make a mess of things. And it was a mess. Thank God, God is a redeemer of messes. And He's a restorer. And a savior of messes. I thank God for that. But now God is asking Abraham for everything that's, that, that is dear to him. And the Bible says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. Look at this. The next day. Early in the morning. There was no delay. There was no waiting. And he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering." he worked he gathered the wood for the burn offering and rose up and went unto the place which god hath told him and so he goes up and on the third day abraham lifted up his eyes saw the place afar off this is not this is not just a little walk in the park this is a long journey that he's taking and abraham said unto his young men abide here with the ass and i and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together By the way, that's prophetic. That is messianic. That is prophetic when he says God will provide Himself a lamb for the sacrifice. Because every sacrifice in the Old Testament was a type and a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And note what Abraham said. He didn't say God would provide a lamb. He said God would provide Himself a lamb. Wow. Wow. Abraham's faith was pretty powerful. God's got this. You know what Abraham, he could not... Now, let's just pause for a moment. How do you reconcile when God gives you a miraculous dream? It takes you a mess to work to get there, and now God asks, no mistake, offer your son for a sacrifice. There is no sacrifice unless there is death. So Abraham is thinking, okay, I'm going to take my son and I'm I'm killing it. It will be dead to me. It will no longer be mine. Every joy that I have. It was not just the death of his son. It was the death of his hope, his dream, his desire, everything. I'm going to kill that thing. But Abraham also knew that the word of God is true. And God already promised. That through Isaac, he would make of him a great nation. And if Isaac dies before he gets married and have children, then God's got to take care of it. And God's going to raise him back from the dead. God's going to do something. And so Abraham goes in obedience because he's got faith. At the moment, I'm sure he did not understand how it was going to play out. And can I tell you this, sometimes in life, you and I cannot reconcile how God is going to keep His promise and yet ask of us something so great that we can't understand. Is this making sense? I can't reconcile. God's asking me something. I can't make sense of it. But I also know that there's a promise that God gave me. I can't make sense of it, but I know God's going to work it out. That's what Abraham was saying. And can I tell you, God worked it out. Look at what he says. In verse 12, uh, uh, no, let's let's go on. Verse 9, And he came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him upon the altar, upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife, To slay his son. The only way I can read this text and understand this is that Abraham was going to obey God, but he must have thought God is going to raise him back from the dead. But as the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. God has provided. In the mount of the Lord, God's going to work it all out. In the mount of the Lord, God's going to take care of it. Can I tell you? Abraham could have questioned God's Word. He could have denied God's Word. He could have changed God's Word. And he would have missed out on the promise. He would have missed out on the great thing had he never been willing to offer it up to the Lord. That's what giving authority to the Word of God looks like. Doing something that you don't understand. God, I don't know why you'd ask this of me. I don't know. I can't make sense of it. And I'm going to tell you, in this life, we can't reconcile everything. Is that all right? There are some things in this life we cannot answer. Why certain things happen. We cannot answer. Song says, we'll understand it better by and by. By and by. Someday, it's all going to make sense. Someday, His purpose, His glory will be revealed. But right now. We, we, we see in a glass darkly. We, we don't know everything. We don't understand everything. But one thing I can do, and that is, I know the Word of God is true. And I know God sees what I don't see, and so I'm going to trust in the Word of the Lord. Somebody put your hands together tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's got it. He's working it out. He's working it out for your good. My, my wife tells the story. She likes to tell the story often of times where the Lord's moved on her before we were married when she was a young person raising money to go on missions trips. and I think she went on three or four different trips and changed her life, impacted her her thinking and heart for ministry. And one time she had all of her money raised. She was ready to send it in and, and there was a special service and God moved on her and she said, I felt so definitively that I was to give all the money that I had raised for the trip and to give it to this cause. And so she did. She was obedient to it. And she took that money that she had raised for the occasion and the trip, which was her heart's desire, her purpose, her dream. And I think that was her trip to South Africa. And instead, she gave it to the cause of the offering that had been presented at her home church. And after, I don't know, it was however many weeks later, someone came up and said, I don't know why, but the Lord has impressed on me to write you this check. And this is, you know, back, back in the day, mission trips were much cheaper back then. And I think it was somewhere over $1,000 that she had given and $1,000 that God supplied right back there because she was obedient to the word of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, sometimes it is nervous. It's nerve-wracking obeying the word of the Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're wondering, God, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know, Lord. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm out of whatever you're asking me to do here. But when you obey the Word of God and you give leverage to the authority of the Word of God in your life, it is amazing to see how many doors God will open up and things God can begin to do and how God can work inside of your life. So Abraham gave authority to the Word of God. So tonight, our question is this, are we willing and are we obedient to the Word of God that's speaking in me? What does the Word of God say? It does matter what the Word of God says. I don't want to live in a manner that is contrary to the Word of God. I don't want to uh, let my heart and my lifestyle be in a manner that is contrary to the Word of God. So I give leverage to the Word of God in my life. Uh, uh, What is it? Philippians 4 and 8. The Philippians 4-8 principle. Uh, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are just, and good report, and... uh, 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 virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That, that ought to be that right there. Man, I'm going to tell you, that's probably one of the hardest verses to live up to right there. Think on these things. So that means I got I to take care of not only the things that I'm doing, but whatever things I'm reading, what things I'm digesting in my life. I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. Somebody say amen. I give you four things here, and I leave you with this, and we close with this. Four things. Number one, uh, uh, these, these are four things. Leveraging the authority of the Word of God in your life. Number one, we, we must know the Word of God. Number one, know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Don't be ignorant of it. Don't say, well, yeah, I go to church and I sing the song, but never listen to the Word. The preaching of the Word. It, it, when we come to church and we preach or we teach... It's not so that you can hear me. I, 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 I'm, not that, I'm not that great of a speaker. It's not so that you can hear, hear uh, uh, stories and all that. It's so that you can hear the word of God, even the word that you may already know, but you are hearing it spoken into your life in a fresh way. Can I tell you, I have been blessed by people that don't know half as much about the Bible and of the Bible as I know, but yet they stand up. And they preach a simple, or teach a simple, or speak a simple word about the, the Word of God. And wow, it touches my heart. And, and okay, that, that's what I've got. That's the target of my life. I've been inspired by that. That's what the Word of God is for. Romans 10 and 17 says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we, it's the Word of God that brings faith into our life. It's the hearing of the Word of God. So I've got to know the Word of God. Don't, don't just find time. You make time. We make time for the Word of God. Is that all right? I know, I know in 2019, everything's about us, and it's all about accommodation. We're an accommodation generation. But you make time. It's still okay to set aside a few moments each week to say these points are designated in our life for worship and the Word and our heart. That's biblical. That's a biblical concept. I thought I'd get a good amen right there. I thought be, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here tonight. Number two, not only do we need to know the Word of God, but number two, we, must, we, we should memorize the Word of God. You ought to, you ought to memorize the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean you have to know, hey, it's on page 476 in the left-hand column. It's right here in no, but, but know the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Thy Word, He says in Psalm 119 and 11, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. So the Word of God, as I said Sunday, is an antiseptic towards sin. So memorize the Word of God. It's good to take part. I am, I am getting to the place now where I feel like I have forgotten more than I remember. Does anybody else? Understand what I'm saying? I, I mean, it's like a wonderful thing. I've got this great library, and I picked up a book the other day, and I saw that I had underlined some things. And I was like, man, I've never read that before. I'm at the age now where I can reread books, and it's like the first time. Hey, man, this is great. This is, I mean, life's wonderful here. But I've forgotten more. So I, I what was the song, what was, Psalm 100. I have preached Psalm 100, I don't know how many times, I have quoted it, I have sang it, 150, Psalm 150, thank you, Psalm, I didn't even, I couldn't even remember last night what chapter it was, <laughs> Psalm 150, and, and Brother Ryan closed out prayer with Psalm 150, and after we got to the timbrel and the dance, I couldn't remember if we were going back to organs or if we were jumping on the cymbals, or I couldn't remember what we were going to next, you know what I'm saying? I understand, but memorize thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The third thing is you ought to meditate upon God's word. Don't just read it, don't just know it, don't just memorize it, but meditate upon it. Dwell upon it, think upon it. Psalms 1 and 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The precepts of God, as we read, give understanding. And the psalmist said, your words are sweeter than honey. And then the fourth thing, we must use the Word of God. Don't just know it, but you got to use the Word of God. And that's Ephesians 6 and 17. Take the helmet of salvation, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You use the Word of God. God has given us, amen. A weapon to our defense. When the enemy came and tempted Jesus in the uh, the wilderness, at the end of the wilderness, every, every one of those temptations, the Lord responds with a word from the Lord. And if you go back and look, he's quoting Deuteronomy. And he goes back and he says, It is written. Now he's just walked 40 days in the wilderness. And the enemy comes to tempt him at the end of the wilderness journey. And, and, and Jesus says, it is written. You can't confront temptation unless you know what was written. You, you can't say, it is written. Hold on a minute. You got to know what's written in there. Is that all right? But when you know the word of God, I'm going to tell you, there's times, there's times where I quote the word. There's times in my life where I've been dealing with an issue or temptation or an issue or frustration and difficulty. And you know what I've done? I I, I started doing this in high school. Somebody helped me out in high school. And I took one of those three uh, uh, or three uh, M Mead notebook, spiral bound. And I literally, I had my Bible. I just started writing scripture. Now I had my Bible there. It was written there. But somebody said, if you... See it, you'll remember a certain amount. If you say it, you'll remember another percentage. But if you see it, say it, and write it, you're going to remember more. So I quoted it, and I wrote it down. And I would pull out everything. Uh, there's a little promise book that's topical, and it just has little verses on that. In high school, that was my, that was my friend. And I would quote that. And there are times where I've quoted. You ought to, you ought to quote things like, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. All right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know how many times I've quoted that? Amen. And and you quote scripture, it brings strength back into your life. So leverage the word of God in your life. Try leveraging the word of God. These are practical things, practical things you can take, put in your toolbox. And go home. Stand together. Amen. Lord, in Jesus' name. God, I thank you tonight. I thank you.